Now, some of you have been waiting. For the last two broadcasts, I have been holding you on the string at the end of the, the, the line, uh, telling you that we were going to tell you eventually, and at this broadcast indeed, what Philippians 2.12 is all about. Let me read it again for those who have just turned, tuned in for the first time. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We saw two broadcasts ago that this could not mean that you would be saved by good works because Paul has already identified these people to whom he is writing in verse 1 of the letter uh, as saints. They were already saved. So he isn't telling saved people who are called saints to become saved. They were saved. So it couldn't mean that. Then we saw that the verse pointed us back to a context that came first. So then, the verse begins. And wherever you find something like that, you should go back and find out what the argument has been that leads up to this conclusion that begins with the words, so then, or wherefore, or therefore. And we went back and we saw that this section began at verse 27, where Paul says that he wants them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, we saw that he continued to stress unity, saying, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And we saw how in Philippians 4 that he speaks about Iodias and Syntyche, who were two women who had worked with him in harmony, but now had fallen out among themselves and who were fighting over something. He doesn't tell us what, but there was a split in the Philippian church, and these were the two women who were at the heads of the factions of that split. And he urges them to become uh, one again to work in harmony again in the Lord for the Lord's causes rather than for their own desires. At the end of the last broadcast, we were discussing Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 that set forth for us very plainly the two principles that lead to unity. The first of these is in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. I barely read these verses last time, so let me say a word or two more about them now. If we out of selfishness or self-conceit want our way, want people to do what we want, thinking we're very important, this will automatically cause division and heartache and trouble in the church of Jesus Christ. When two women decide that their ideas about what color tablecloths should be on the fellowship uh, dinner uh, tables, uh, when they each have their own ideas and that their ideas should be accepted and not anybody else's, that's going to bring disharmony in a church. But where one woman says, well, Mary always has good ideas and she accepts the good ideas of another woman and is willing to look at her ideas and say, all right, I thought we should have purple tablecloths, but if Mary says orange, then we'll go for orange with pink polka dots because I'm going to put her first and make her viewpoint more important than my own. That leads to harmony rather than to disharmony. And then secondly, in verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, when uh, this is not used as an excuse to get out of your own responsibilities, and of course it could wrongly be used in that way, and that's not what Paul has in mind, but when this is used properly as looking to others and their interests and their concerns, and really being deeply interested in them, by praying for them, by helping them, by promoting them, by pushing them forward at every place where it's possible to do so, this brings harmony. 
On the other hand, if a person is totally self-centered, cares about his own interests all the time and does what he wants and nothing else, this leads to disharmony and disunity in a church. Well, Paul puts forth those two principles of unity because that's his concern, to bring about unity in this divided church which was being split by two women who wanted their ways and who each thought they were more important than the other and who were interested in their own things, not each other. Now he gives to them the strongest exhortation of all. He says in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. He says what I'm talking about, putting others first and their interests first rather than your own, making others more important in your eyes rather than yourself, this is what Jesus did. That's the attitude that you're to have, the same attitude that he had. Then he explains how he had that attitude. Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be graspingly held on to at all costs. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and, be, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name that he gave Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now what's he saying in those passages? He's saying that Jesus had the full acclaim of heaven before he came to this earth. All of the angels of heaven praised and glorified his name, that he existed in a manifest way as God. He had not only the deity which he was within himself, but he had that form of deity which manifested itself as such. But not laying aside his deity, but laying aside that form of deity, that outward expression of his deity which others could see and praise, Jesus humbled himself for us. He thought that we were more important than himself and it was not a thing to be graspingly held on to, that is his own interest, but in interest of us he came and died on the cross for our sins. And then he says, God exalted him because of that. And then comes our verse, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, now obey, not just because I'm present, but since I can't be present, you obey in my absence all the more. And work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's he talking about? Your own salvation to this problem. The word salvation, when used with a Christian, doesn't mean eternal salvation in heaven. It means your own solution or your own answer or your own way out of this difficult situation in which you found yourself. He's saying you've got a split in your church. You need unity. If you follow these directions and you pay good attention to them, you can work yourselves out of that split and out of that difficulty in your church. In verse 19 of chapter 1, he has already used the word salvation in a way that doesn't mean eternal salvation. He says that by their prayers, as he stands before Nero, and as he is examined by the emperor of the world, he knows that their prayers will supply the Spirit of God in such power and such grace that he will be saved in that hour and delivered in that hour from doing anything that might disgrace the name of Jesus Christ, that he'll get through that tough situation of having to go, go before the emperor of the world and bear a witness to him about Christ. He'll be saved out of that hour from doing anything wrong. And here in the same way, he's talking about being saved out of a difficult situation. David often talks about being saved out of the hand of his enemy. 
And Paul here says, you will be saved out of your difficulty. This is an extremely important point, that if we obey the word of God when there's no preacher nearby to help us, we can get through that situation, we can be saved through that situation successfully. Because as verse 13 says, it is God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That is, even when we're alone, even when we don't have a Paul next to us, even when we don't have a preacher to help us, we're never really alone if we know God, because he by his spirit works in us, both to give us the desire and the ability to do what the scriptures teach us to do. The next time you're alone, remember this verse and work out on your own the way out of it through the power of God and his word. Lord, help us to do that, we pray. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen.